1: And the Hart Memorial Trophy goes to my pleasure from the Edmonton Oilers, Conor McDavid. <laughs> uh, it's amazing to be up here again and, and to receive this from, from Wayne, uh, the greatest player of all time. Um, it means so much, so thank you for that.
0: 20-year-old Connor McDavid, fresh off his first full season in the National Hockey League, won the Hart Trophy last week as the league's most valuable player. He claimed it over finalists Sergei Bobrovsky, goalie for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and Sidney Crosby, star of the two-time Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins and long the face at the NHL. McDavid also claimed the Art Ross Trophy as NHL scoring champion. He scored 30 goals and 70 assists for 100 points. As well, his peers in the National Hockey League Players Association named him MVP with their Ted Lindsay Award. It's an impressive haul for the wonderkind who was hailed as a savior before he had even tugged on an orange Oilers jersey at the 2015 NHL draft as the number one pick. He led the Oilers into the playoffs for the first time in 11 years this past spring, and certainly looks to dominate the NHL landscape for years to come. Which is why the dollar figures from contract extension negotiations with the Oilers being leaked this week sound very high. The latest numbers are $106 million over 8 years, or $13.25 million per season. Which would make McDavid one of the highest paid players in the league, and rightly so. But could that large figure be a detriment to the Oilers long term fortunes on the ice? And how will it, or should it, impact negotiations with his teammate Leon Draisaitl? Who is also up for a contract extension, one that kicks in for the upcoming season, unlike McDavid's, which will factor in in 2018 19? Also, consider that Dryside will finish in the top 10 in scoring as well. We could know more about these negotiations come July 1st, the day current contracts and free agents come available to NHL teams. Could the Oilers be looking to add someone new? The next day, the player crop from the 2017 NHL Draft hits the ice in Jasper, along with other organizational prospects at the annual Oilers Development Camp. Do we know what to expect from the likes of first-round Oilers pick Kyler Yamamoto and the other six players taken by Edmonton last weekend? I'm Craig Ellingson. This is our Oil Spills podcast for June 28, 2017. Hockey writers Jim Matheson and Robert Tichkowski Talk to me about these topics at a time of year that's always busy for NHL clubs. First, the impending big payday for McDavid, bigger than Matheson thought it would be.
2: It's a little higher than I thought. You know, if you, know, you want to keep all the players on the team, you know, eventually you're going to have to sign some, some people, not just Drysdale, but other people too. It's a little higher than I perhaps thought. Uh, but... You know, he's already won the Hart Trophy and he's played, you know, a year and a half in the National Hockey League and he's going to win more than one Hart Trophy. So if you're going to give it to anybody, you're going to give it to him. Uh, eight years is what the Oilers want. You know, they want the cost certainty of the eight-year deal. And I guess for eight years, then he, you know, he's he's got all the cards. I mean, he's a Hart Trophy winner. He can, you know, he can go up to $14 million, probably go even higher than that, but... You know, that's what Kane and, and, and Taves make that in salary this year. That their cap hit is less than that, but their salary's that high. So. so Shea Weber's around fourteen million in salary too, so thirteen million next year. We forget it's not this upcoming season, it's the season after he starts playing it. So he's got the orders where they you know, over a barrel and he's gonna get what he wants and the orders are probably saying good. He's the best player in the game now, or one of the two with Sidney Crosby, so we gotta pay him.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the the thirteen, you know, that's that's a result of it going past the typically the second year, co- second contracts are in the five year range, and the others saying, well, we want you for three more. So he's going, well, if you want if you want to take up some of my UFA years, then the whole thing's going to have to come up. So, and I would have loved to have seen Shirelli in those negotiations. <laughs> like, you know, yes sir or no sir? What would you like, sir? I mean, he has literally no bargaining power whatsoever. Like, he's just pretty much has to give the McDavid camp whatever they want and uh so that's that's the number and and it's the number by itself isn't crippling it's what else like they can't afford another you know massive contract like that which brings everybody to the leon drysaddle issue Uh, how much are you going to pay him without putting yourself in a position where you know suddenly two three guys really impact your ability to build a championship team so that's the that's the the secondary issue moving forward
2: they cannot get into the same boat that the Chicago Blackhawks right. got into where every time they have a fairly successful season uh, they got to ship off some players and even this past season where it was not successful they shipped off one of the best offensive players in the league Panarin and uh, one of the maybe the best defensive defenseman in the league in Yarmelson because their contracts were shorter and were going to be up and uh, for more cost certainty with Brown and Um So, yeah, it's it's very enticing for the Oilers to, to get Dreisaitl signed for a long term, too. But I, I'm i sure the Oilers are looking at Leon Dreisaitl and says, OK, you played well this year. You finished at the 8th in the league in scoring, but you didn't get 100 points. I think they're probably looking at the contracts of Vladimir Tarasenko, who signed an eight year deal for seven and a half million. And they're probably looking at two other centers in in Getzlaff and Giroux. Giroux, both captains of their teams, making a little more than eight million a year. So they've played a lot longer than Leon Dreisaitl's played. And uh, certainly in Getzlaff's case, he's won a lot more than Leon Dreisaitl's won. So I'm sure that's between seven and a half and eight is their ceiling. You know, if in a shorter-term deal, if maybe only signs for five years, not eight years.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're looking at a guy who's literally done it one year, 77 points for one season. That's not typically eight, $9 million money, you know, when you're just looking at the contract. of And a lot of that year was spent on the line with Connor McDavid, so he's a little bit of a coattails contract, and I know for Oilers fans and management and kind of everybody would like to see both of those guys locked up for the time being. You can't give... Sidle too much. You can't just you know bring him along for the ride and say you know here's here's nine for you, eight for you because you know Connor's your buddy and Connor's making 13. So suddenly that raises the water level. Connor's his own level. Everybody else after that has to negotiate based on their own merits. And and Drysidle's a guy that had 77 points one year. As much as you want to keep him and keep him happy and keep him around for a long time, you have to be really careful because you get into that position like the Hawks are in where suddenly the GM has to scramble every single season because you're you're just pressing against the the ceiling every year so you know mcdavid's contract is is merited he earned it he deserves it and he's it's going to you know the others are going to make money off of that contract for years it's it's what they do after that that's really going to determine the future of the organization and their ability to win
2: what the Oilers have done well is keep the contracts down for their defensemen. Mm-hmm. a lot of teams like chicago for instance with seabrook and keith they're big contracts uh or Drew Doughty or anybody else. There's no $7 million defenseman on the Edmonton Oilers. There's Larson makes four. Clefbaum makes four. Russell makes four. Secker makes five and a half. And then Benning and Nurse make, you know, very little money for the players they are. So he's saving on the defense and saving in goal, to be honest. I mean, Cam Talbot played the most games in the NHL last year. He makes $4 million. He doesn't make six like, you know, Corey Crawford or, or even, you know, He's not Mike Smith or any of those guys making well over five. So mm-hmm. they're saving it on the back end, but got to pay up front. But you can't have, you know, as Rob pointed out, you can't have a team with five guys making all the money either. And Detroit, or in Chicago, has found that out. You know, they pay, you know, Kane and Taves that kind of money. They pay Keith and Seabrook that kind of money. And the goalie, Corey Crawford, making $6 million. Uh And throw in Marion Hossa, and you get got like six guys making, you know, Fifty million dollars, you know, and your your whole payroll seventy five. So I don't think you can do that. And then, if you do that, then you've got a whole lot of third and fourth line guys making a million, and that you know is a major drop off in yeah. talent level too. Isn't that
0: kind of more the Pittsburgh model? Then you have Crosby, Malkin, and of course you are paying Chris Letang some decent money as well,
2: Castle too, and Castle. You traded for Castle's contract, yeah.
0: but. I mean, clearly they've just won back-to-back championships. Of course, Chicago has won three in the last, you know, number of years. You know, um, but you know, I guess Chicago hasn't advanced past the first round two years in a row.
2: Yeah, I think the, the a comparison for the Oilers might be when Washington gave Ovechkin that long contract pretty early in his career, and 124 million. I think it was over 13, 13 years old. And then, but their second-best player is Backstrom. Okay, But Backstrom they didn't say to say, "Okay, oh, by the way, you're making the same $12 million. Well, no, he's not. And yet he's a really good player, and he's their number one center. And, uh, you know, he's not making $10 million a year. So, I mean, I could say, the orders. there are players who, whose contracts are going to be through the roof, and then the other ones can't be even within a couple of million dollars
1: of that or you're, you're hooped and this puts a lot of pressure on your scouting and development staff because like you say Chicago had guys coming out of the woodwork that were making, you know, minimum 850 a year that were really contributors. Pittsburgh has some 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 homegrown talent too. If you don't have that and you're relying on on trades and free agency then then it's not going to happen. You have to cultivate your players that are coming through the system to to get you through the times where you have to unload some players for financial reasons every couple of years as Chicago's had to do. <music>
0: could the Oilers be targeting come Saturday?
2: I don't know, they've signed two players, they've signed two defense players, their own players. Defense is short up. Defense is short up with Greiva and Russell, so um, I don't know if they'll be active at all. I I think they need a third line center. I mean, it's pretty obvious that Leon has to play right wing, because I don't know if Ryan Strome is a first line right winger, Uh, and we don't know if Pugliarvi is ready to play. Um, mm-hmm. Slepashav is a third-line player. So I think Leon has to play the wing, which means that Nugent Hopkins is a second-line center, but then latestu is a fourth-line center. So they need a third-line center somewhere. Uh, that would be the only signing I can think of because I I suspect if they need an extra defenseman, they'll just say, okay, we're paying Mark Fain $3.6 million to play in the minors. We can pay him $3.6 million to be the seventh defenseman right. here until – Secker gets back in December, and then we can make up our mind how things are going. Uh, and at least Fane's an NHL defenseman in terms of he's played games in the NHL, a fair number in New Jersey, so yeah. the only problem with Mark Fane is I don't think the coaches have any trust in him, uh, or he wouldn't have been in the minors. Right. Um, so, you know, that opens up a bit of can of worms. You know, the general manager would like to have him in Edmonton making those $3.6 million, rather than in Bakersfield, and the coaches are saying, well, I don't know if we want to play him, so... But, you know, that's that's <laughs> that's a tug of war between
1: Todd McCollin and Peter Shirelli. Yeah, I don't see any big splashes. You know, they're just looking at veteran utility guy up front who can, you know, win some face-offs or maybe fill a role. But I think they're still at the, the stage where they want to see what, you know, what Strom going to look like, what's Pugliarvi going to look like, and then sort of assess what they have once the season begins. Uh, I don't know if you can, you know, be making decisions based, Without having that knowledge, you know what's your what are your right wingers going to look like depending on those two guys? You know there might be an urgent need for for that position if both of those guys don't feel the need. So I think it's kind of stamp pad over the summer. It's not a bad team to begin with, and then you know as I always like to do, assess in October, November, and December and, and see where you're at. There's about eight
2: fourth line players on the Oilers. Uh, if you throw Lepesu and Cassian and make them fourth line players, not third line players. And then, you know, you've got Kara, and, you know, maybe they sign Pitlick again. I would bring Pitlick back. I like Pitlick in the 30 he games. If he could ever stay healthy, he's a good player, you know, and, you know, Pacarenin's in there. So they got lots of fourth line players. But if, Dr- if Drake Jula plays third line left wing and Slepyshev plays third line right wing, then they need a third line center. Somebody, as you pointed out, Rob, who can win a face off, because their face offs are not good from top to bottom, from Connor McDavid. To Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Settle is the best of that, uh, you know, the offensive centers in terms of faceoffs, and he's about fifty percent, a little less than fifty. So they need a they need a center who can win some faceoffs. I think.
1: Mm. No, I agree. That's, that's what I said, they just get themselves. A, you know, it won't be anything flashy or, or splashy. It's just going to be a guy who can fill a lot of roles, kind of like a, a Mark Lutetsu was. Nobody thought much of him when he arrived at Edmonton, but boy, he's a really. He makes an impact in a lot of key areas, power play, penalty killings, face-offs, the one-timer. He's just a, an all-around good player. I think they'd be looking for a, something from from that uh, cloth.
2: It's a bit of a cliche that they love all the players they take in the in the draft, and then two years later they're not, re- they're not signing them, they're back in the draft, some of them, so they're not all great. But, you know you know rob was there i mean the most interesting player probably taken in the first round after you know the first two guys was yamamoto because yeah. he's the smallest guy shortest guy who's ever been drafted and and 148 he says he can put on weight and his pair his dad looks like he's sort of stocky but can he get to 160 even i mean i mean they're talking 170 what then he's going
1: to slow right down to nothing if he's only five foot seven. Yeah, you're talking like you know ten percent of your body weight. That's a significant amount. So I mean, he's got some time, uh, but he is a really slight guy. Like he is a small, small dude. Uh, I look at Goudreau. I think that he's not even Johnny Goudreau big, which is not is not big at all. But everybody everybody who's seen him uh, says they like him. They say he plays with a lot of fire. And and if like if you're really quick and you've got really good hands, you know Goudreau's living proof. You know those guys can play in the league now. And they're, he's also joining a team. You know, a few years ago, this wouldn't happen. The Oilers were too small. That's all they had were undersized guys. And they would just get beat up and pushed around and, you know, injured and such. Now he's he's coming to a team, you know, in, in a year or two that is going to be able to, you know, really look after him. And, and, and you know, he won't have to worry so much. You know, the league's getting softer and his team is, is, is tougher. So I think that, you know, if you're looking for a launching point for a 148-pound player, Edmonton might be one of the best ones in the league right now given the skill around him and the, the the ability to kind of look after him.
2: And, you know, sometimes a team picks a guy in the first round and and some of the observers, some of the other scouts for the other teams or people who watch all the players say, hmm, that was a bit of a reach. I don't think anybody said that the order's pick at Yamamoto at 22 was a reach. And if he, if he weighed 170 pounds, he'd probably even pick 12th not 22nd you know he, the only reason he was at 22 is because he's that yeah. small so i mean, don't think anybody doubts his skill level and from the sounds of things he's willing to go into the corners and get the to puck too so he's yeah. not going to just play in the periphery so
1: yeah you're so playing a western league i mean that's a tough league like he, yeah. you know they're they're trying to get him out of the play there already before he even gets to the national league he spent you know his his junior career with guys trying to knock his head off so you know he's coming from a position of uh, being able to sort of succeed in that environment so we'll see put it this way I don't think we'll be seeing him for about two years right
2: so unlike the, the players the Oilers normally draft in the top 10 who are if not playing right away or playing the next year I don't think we'll be seeing him I'm sure he'll go to the minors after this upcoming season to play in American League for a year or f- for a while anyway until they see how he is if he dominates down there then he can come up but uh, uh, the right wing they're not penciling him in for a right wing spot uh, anytime soon i don't
1: think and two years is a lot of time to put on if you're doing it properly to put on size like you know you can gain 15 16 pounds in a couple of years if you're training with professional trainers and people looking after you so you know i think do it the right way you just send them you know another year and another year in spokane and then another year or, or a year in the american hockey league and then you know then you see what you've got without trying to rush him rush him and ruin him, as, as has been the case in, in some of the situations here before. I mean, before. Is,
2: he, can he, is he really... Have, I mean, how tall was David D'Arnais when he was here? Yeah. Now he weighed more, yeah. but he weighed 170, and he, but he was like 5'7". So, you know, we all thought he was small too, but he's played in the league for half a dozen years, mm-hmm. so you know, he won't be back with the Oilers, but he's managed just fine when he was in his, you know, his, his heyday in Montreal. Yep.
0: I forgot to check... Um, to see where rod brindemore was drafted when way back in the day it went round but um you know Scott brindemore was drafted by the Oilers, son of rod um the sixth round what do bloodlines mean in in the nhl i suppose you could say that about any pro sport mm-hmm.
1: it's the the tiebreaker if it's close i think then they they look at okay this guy you know he's got an, a, you know, somebody in his ear. In, in his whole life, he's, he's somebody who, who's been able to be around it his whole life, be immersed in it. He knows what the training's involved. He knows, and just you know, physically, you know, bloodlines maybe they do matter. But in terms of just you know, up upstairs in your head, you know, just being around the game for your whole life, uh, I think you know, if it's close, you know, if you're not sure player A or player B, then I, I'm, you know, they go with the player that's that's been exposed to the National Hockey League his whole life
2: interesting In two straight drafts they took uh, George McPhee's kid last year uh, and they took Brindamere's kid this year so um, you know one's a coach Brindamere's a coach in Carolina of course George is in Las Vegas so it's very interesting I I, I don't know I'd have to take a look at the statistics but I would suggest that two out of every three players chosen you know sons of fathers who played in the NHL turn out to be Pros, not—they mm-hmm. don't all have to be great pros. There's only one third of them probably that, that you know, don't turn out. And you know, if nothing else, they know how. It, uh, there's a pro mentality when you're the son of a professional hockey player that other kids don't have, and they're you know, most kids aren't around the hockey rinks when they're five years old in NHL dressing rooms. And, and I, you know, the kids, I'm sure that Brendan Moore's son was in the dressing room when carolina won the stanley cup in 2006 i would oh yeah you were talking you know 12 years ago so he would have been six years old i'm sure that rod had him there
0: yeah i'm you know there have been plenty of examples over time i mean even in the orders right now dylan simpson's in the system son of craig um you know even keegan lowe he's not an order but kevin lowe's son was drafted by carolina a few years ago former oil king uh, you know, from last year's draft, Matthew Kachuk. You know, what a great mm-hmm. rookie season he had. I mean, we'll see. You know, it looks like he has a bright, bright future. But, um, you know, we could you know talk history all day long. But, uh, yeah, I guess I was wondering about the edge that mm-hmm. the son of an NHLer think, would have.
2: I think just as importantly as as picking a boy whose dad played in the NHL, they picked a, a player who was going to go and play college hockey. So you buy yourself another three years. He's going to go play in the B.C. Junior Hockey League this year in Chilliwack, and then he's going to go to Michigan State. So it's a good hockey program, and um, Sean Horkoff played there, and other people of note. So, you know, know, those later picks, they're often kids who are going to college. I think their seventh-round picks also going to Yale, a defenseman. So, you know, that's where you want them playing. You want them playing in the college hockey where they can develop practice and play against older players yeah
1: yeah here you look after him call us in a couple years and see what he looks like and you know those are good programs they have good coaches they have good you know training facilities and you know it's kind of a major league atmosphere you know you're playing against older stronger guys so if you have a late round pick that likely wouldn't have made it anyway you can send him away for a couple three years and then uh, see what see what comes back after you know he's you know been at michigan state or something for a few years and you never know so that's a that's a good way to run your another arm of your development process is just let the let the colleges, you know, good programs take your guy and spend well because a couple if of years you
2: on. draft a kid who's eighteen and coming out of major, you got to do something the with him. Feeling <laughs> is then okay, now he plays till he's nineteen in the Western League, and then you're thinking okay, now we got to get him to the American League at you know, at twenty. Well, a college player is only two years into a college career at twenty, and right. he's got you know two more years to play against older players. So. Much more beneficial.
1: Yeah, you don't put a contract on them or anything. You just leave them there.
0: That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can subscribe to our show on SoundCloud and iTunes. I'm Craig Ellingson. Talk to you soon.